My name is Colton White. I am the associate pastor here at Renewal Church, and I'm really excited uh, to be here. I'm thankful that Matthew has um, asked me to teach today. I'm really humbled um, and honored to be here. Let me read our text for us this morning. It's out of 1 Peter chapter 1, from verses 13 to 25. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Peter says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who, brought, who through him all believers are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So a few weeks ago, as you've already heard, we started a series called Renewed Identity, that God has renewed who we are by what he has done in us and what he has done for us. Today, we're going to talk specifically about holiness, being set apart, growing in your holiness, that God has renewed our standing before him and has set us apart for his purposes. So before we jump into the first Peter text, I want to actually look at the man himself, Mr. Peter, um, and look at his origin story. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 5, and we'll actually start in verse 4, but a little background here. Jesus is super popular in this moment. He is in my timeline, the Backstreet Boys walking through the mall, right? Everyone is flocking to him. Everyone wants to see who Jesus is. Um, everywhere he goes, crowds come to him. And so he's walking, he's, on a, on, he's around some water, and he sees some boats, and the crowd comes out, and he grabs a boat, goes out to the water, begins preaching so that his voice will echo off of the water. And that boat happened to be Peter's. And so we'll pick up in verse in Luke chapter 5. It says, When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Verse 6. And when they undid this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so so much so that they began to sink. But... When Simon Peter saw it, 
he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Be in this moment. Be in this scene. See the miracle that happens, and then be in Peter's shoes. He just saw the most powerful person in the world, the most perfection that he will ever see in his entire life. In light of that holiness, in light of the power of Jesus, how do you think Peter feels? I think if we thought about it, a lot of us could identify with how Peter feels. I think here he feels shame. He feels embarrassment. Because that's what happens when an imperfect person is in the presence of someone perfect. You begin to feel your imperfections, right? And that's why when we're talking about holiness and being holy and set apart this morning, and you walked in and you start to, started to feel a little uneasy maybe, because you know your imperfections. You know your shame. You feel it. You're aware of it. But we have a tendency as Christians to be really good at fooling people into thinking that we are perfect. But in your heart, you know that something's not right. Something's not click, clicking. And that's why when we're trapped in sin and we're hiding, we don't read our Bible. And we don't pray. Because it illuminates something in us. Right? It shows us something about us that we don't Like, in here, when faced with the power of Jesus, Peter realizes that he can't hide anymore. He can't do it. He can't pretend anymore. When shame gets in the presence of perfection, it says, get the light off me. Right? I don't want to be seen like this. If you're married, you know that, right? (laughs) Right? When you mess up and something happens and you say, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to, right? He looks at Jesus, and he essentially says, you don't want to be involved with me. And when we think about holiness, I know for me this is true for a long time, when we think about holiness, our first inclination is because we know ourselves, our first inclination is to run or to hide or to pretend because we know that we're not holy. So I want to stop right there at that story, and I want to come back to it. And I want to jump into 1 Peter, because that story is going to matter, I think, at the end. But I want to talk about holiness, being set apart, growing in your holiness. I want to do it by asking three questions, okay? What is holiness? How does holiness grow? And how is holiness possible? And we'll jump around in the 1 Peter text a little bit. So the first question, what is holiness? Verse 14 in 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he, as he who called you, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, holy in its original language means set apart or separate. But I think in our Christian culture, our culture in general, um, what we tend to do is take that word holy and make it mean moral, right? That make, we, we, we think it's rules, that if I am to be holy like God, then I have to follow all of God's rules, and then we get exhausted, and we get tired, right? That I'm not going to drink that, I'm not going to smoke that, I'm not going to touch that, because that's what God tells me not to do, so therefore I am holy. That view of holiness is actually very shallow, and it's incorrect. The way to understand holiness here in this text and I want you to stay with me, okay? Don't be scared. The way to actually understand the holiness that Peter is talking about 
It's actually to look at what he's quoting from. Because it says, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. He quotes, ready? Leviticus. <laughs> Don't be scared, all right? I know Leviticus can be scary, right? And some of you may have just never touched it, and that's okay. I'm scared of it too. But I want to camp there for a little bit and actually just want to talk about a specific theme in Leviticus, okay? If you're familiar with the Old Testament all, at all, Exodus and Deuteronomy are about holy people, right? So God's people being holy. So don't commit adultery, right? Um, honor your mother and father. Don't murder you with the Ten Commandments and so on. But Leviticus, you see, is actually about, there's a theme in there about holy things. So a holy table, a holy pot, a holy fork, a holy spoon, which some of you may have in your house. Just kidding. Um, but remember, what does holiness mean? Holiness means being set apart or separate. Consider the passage in Isaiah 6.3 where it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They aren't saying they're moral, moral, moral. Right? No, there's something about God that is separate from everything else. He is unique in who he is. There is nothing that can be compared to him. Separate, 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 holy, 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 right? They're saying there's none like him. So let's think about this. If being moral, if being moral means um, being separate, then how can a table or a fork <laughs> or a spoon be holy? So next time you have someone over for lunch or dinner, try this phrase on them. Hey, would you like to sit at my holy table? Or would you like a holy fork or a holy spoon? Right? Just see how that goes. It's going to be an awkward encounter. Right? Um, it's just this. And so here, though, how can it be holy? Well, if you wanted a table to be holy or a fork to be holy or whatever it is, um, what you would do is you would give that to the priest. And the priest would put that item, that thing, into the tabernacle. Okay? And it would only be used, and hear me, it would only be used for the purposes of God. The only thing that made pots and tables and forks and spoons holy is that it was separated for the sake of God's glory. Do you see it? Your holiness is not dependent on your moral righteousness. It is dependent first on your renewed identity in Christ, that you belong to him. He has separated you. And second, your holiness is dependent on what you do with your life. Will you live for the purposes of God? Because, see, it's possible to follow the rules and not belong to God. It's possible to be moral just because you know you should be. It's possible to be moral just because culture tells you to. It's possible to be moral so that you can feel good about yourself. It's possible to be moral and completely belong to yourself. But to be holy means that you belong to God. It means that you have a renewed identity. You have a new purpose. He has made you new. Consider the table, right? The table belongs to the Lord, and it will be only, only be used for the purposes of God. I love 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Just listen to this, this language, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. He says, Do you not know that your body 
is a temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He says, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, for he has bought you. And if that's true, if he's bought you and you don't belong to you anymore, but you belong to him, then what does that mean? That means you don't live for yourself anymore. You have been separated. It does not depend on how much you don't drink that or don't do that or how much you do this or do that or do that or how many Bible studies you go to or how many times you say this. You know what matters is that you belong to him and that you belong to his purposes. That's what makes you holy. So can I say something? Take that weight of you trying to earn your righteousness off of your shoulders. Take it off. It doesn't belong there. It wasn't meant to be there. God has purchased you. He has bought you, and he has made you his. Will you just sit in that for a second and let that free you? Because growth will not come until you try to stop earning holiness. Stop trying to earn something that's already been given to you. You see it? Just stop. Stop being exhausted and frustrated with yourself because you already belong to him. (laughs) You're already his. Second question, how does holiness grow? We're going to backtrack, go to verse 13. Um, He says, therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a principle at work here. What you think about is what you care about, and what you care about is what you chase, okay? Peter says, prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. Think. Think about Jesus. Think about who he is, and specifically here in this text, what is coming. So often we fill our minds with things that just don't matter. They just don't, right? And all throughout the Bible, we are told to fill our minds or to think or to have our minds transformed by the things of God. Consider Philippians 4, right? He talks about anxiety and the peace of God and the God of peace. And then he says this in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, he says, think of these things. Think. Fill your mind with the things of God, because what you think about, what fills your mind, is what you will care about. For me, it's sports. I am a diehard Astros fan through and through. If there are Rangers fans here, the door is over there. You know, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Just kidding. Um, but I am a diehard Astros fan to a fault, and I will admit that. And that's frustration in the sermon, right? Um, so two years ago, when the Astros went to the World Series, everybody remember that? I do too. Um, so when they went to the World Series, it consumed my life, okay? This is more of a confession than anything else. It consumed my life. Like, stats that I didn't know existed, I found them. So OPS, OBS, BABIP, um, ERA, I mean, just go down the line, whip, I knew it all. Katie knows it all too because I told her about it, right? It consumed my life. In fact, we were living in an apartment at the time, and it was game seven of the World Series, and so I wasn't getting any work done. I was just thinking about the game that night. So I went and got some like pieces of paper and made notes for all my neighbors so they could know 
what was about to happen tonight. And I, and I put on the paper, hey, the Astros are playing Game 7 of the World Series tonight, so I am sorry if I am really loud, but you are welcome to join us, right? Um, and so it just consumed my life. And we all do this, right? We all think on things that really don't matter, but we think on things that do too, right? Like for many of you, it's your kids or it's your spouse. How they're doing. Are they happy? Are they satisfied? Are you doing enough as a parent or a spouse for them? Or maybe it's not what they're doing. Maybe it's everything they've done wrong, (laughs) right? Like I can't believe they didn't do this or why don't they do more of this? These things consume our minds, right? And what happens? You begin to think on it, you dwell on it, and then you get fired up about it. You begin to care about it. It begins to affect what you do. That what you think about is what you care about. What you care about is what you chase. Here he's saying, prepare your minds. Think, right? And then he says to do what? Set your hope fully on it. So you think about it. You care about it. That you care about the day that Jesus comes back. You have a deep desire for it to happen. And then look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So you think about it, you care about it, and then you chase. You think on the things of Jesus, you care about the things of Jesus, and then what happens? You chase Jesus. That you don't conform to the things that you did before because your mind is filled with the goodness of Jesus, that you can't escape it. (laughs) That it's filled with the people telling you things about Jesus and the songs of Jesus and the words of Jesus, and you begin to care about it. Your affections begin to be stirred. And those things over there, they don't matter that much anymore because he's better, and your mind is filled with that. A holy person thinks about, cares about, and chases the things of Jesus. Do you want to grow? Let me ask you this. What fills your mind? What fills your mind? Is it sports? Jesus is better than sports. Is it fear? (laughs) The perfect love of Jesus casts out fear. Is it the future? The purpose and plan of God is perfect. That he has bought you and made you his. Is it your failure? Is that what you're thinking about? He's bought you. You're already his. There's nothing you can do to escape him. (laughs) There's nothing anyone can do to take you away from him. Think on those things. So do you want to grow? Fill your mind with the things of Jesus. Schedule your day in whatever way you can to fill your mind with who he is. Third question. How is holiness possible? Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your Exile. There are two key words here that I want to point out. The first is exile, okay? When it says throughout the time of your exile, it's referring to the season of eternity between the garden and the return of Christ where we have been exiled from the world by God and for God. See, when we see exile, a lot of times it kind of has a bad connotation to it that, like, my wife exiled me from the house, which has never happened, by the way. Um, or, or I'm exiled from a church or exiled from this building because I did something wrong. A lot of times when we see exile, we think it's bad. But here, he's talking specifically about us being exiled from the world because we belong to him. In fact, in verse 1, 
of 1 Peter, he says, to the elect exiles. To the elect exiles. Right? Through Jesus, God has pulled us out of this world and into his kingdom. Do you hate your sin? Do you hate the suffering? Do you want and feel in your gut that there's something more? Yeah, you should. You're an elect exile. He has bought you and chosen you and has loved you. You don't belong to this world anymore. You are holy. Second word is fear. When it says conduct yourself with fear, it's not talking about a fear that you and I are used to. The kind of fear when we are scared, right? Or we think we're going to get caught or we think we're in trouble or fear that someone else is going to hurt us or that someone we love is going to be hurt. When you see fear here, think awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. The kind of power and and wonder that makes you go, wow, I've never seen that before or I've never experienced that before. It's a reverent fear where you sit and you kneel and you just watch. You listen and you obey because there's nothing like that in the world. So awe and wonder of what? Verse 18. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Awe and wonder. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead. Awe and wonder. (laughs) And gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. When's the last time that you were in awe and wonder of who our God is? Can you remember? When's the last time you were in awe and wonder? So how is holiness possible in a world where we are elect exiles? Because Jesus came from perfect heaven to broken or to purchase for himself a people that he would call holy. Why is it possible? Because he's made it so. It's possible because he has made it so. And nothing and no one can take that from you or take that from him. Holiness is possible, right? In addition to him just making it possible, it's also possible because we have two things. We have one another, and we have his word. We have one another, and we have his word. If how holiness is possible comes from God, then how he sustains it is his word and his people. Don't work too hard. Stop working so hard. God has rigged it for you to belong to him. And even you can't ruin it. (laughs) Even I can't ruin it. Because he has bought you. and You belong to him. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 6 and 8. He says, For all flesh is like grass in all its glory, like the flower 
of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Here's the reality. You cannot do it on your own. You can't will holiness to happen. You can't will growth to happen. You can't do it. But he can. He's perfect. He's loving. And in his perfect love, he has covered us from the stain of sin. And he will grow us. So why is it possible? Because we have one another and we have his word, and his word never fails. It compels us, it sustains us, and it reminds us who our God is. But we all know this to be true. We are quick to forget. We are quickly distracted. Let me read to you Jeremiah 2.12 and 13. It says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He's saying, here I am. <laughs> the, satisfaction, the satisfaction of your soul, the, the, the better, the best of anything you could ever imagine. Here I am, and you have chosen to try to create this joy and satisfaction in other things. He is better than them. Don't settle on this world. You don't belong to it anymore. Drink Drink deeply the things of God. So back to the story of Peter. Peter sees the holiness of God, right, and the power of Jesus, and he says, you don't want to be involved with me, which I can imagine maybe some of you here today that you think, he doesn't, look, holiness, look, dude, you don't know what's out there, right? There's so many things out there, and I'm just going to fall to it over and over again. Or you, you might say, like Peter, look, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know me and how far I've gone. You might be like Peter and say, you know what, Jesus, you don't want to be involved with me. What's Jesus' response? Luke 5, verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And then verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. Jesus doesn't look at Peter and say, you know what, dude? You're right. You're worthless. So get in your little boat with no fish that you've caught and just mosey on off. Right? He doesn't say that. What does he say? What does he do? He invites them in. <laughs> he said... Peter says to Jesus, hey, you don't want to be involved with me. And he says, oh, yeah? Come to me. He invites him in. He looks at this broken and sinful man. And he turns his affections and his purpose in life, and he points him in a new direction. And Jesus calls him holy, that from now on, Peter, you belong to me, and I will set you apart for my purposes. And then it says this. I love that verse 11. It says they left everything and they followed him. When I became a new believer, I never understood this. I would always struggle with, there's a few times that the Gospels will say this kind of phrase where they left everything and they follow, and they follow Jesus. And, I, and it was hard for me to understand. Um, but as I've gotten older and I've encountered Jesus, and this is my hope for you, 
there's just something about him that I can imagine watching those fish be caught, seeing that miracle be, happen, and then the invitation from Jesus to Peter to be new, to be made new, that when you really encounter Jesus, there's just no other way to explain it than rather to say there's just something about him that's just better. <laughs> there's something about him that's just worthy. That you may be sitting here right now and you may not have understood a word I said and you don't know how this Jesus thing but, works, but as I'm talking, you may be thinking, I don't know what he's saying, but there's something about that Jesus and I want to know. I want to know it because he's worthy. There is something about him that's better than anything else. Now, for us, those of us in here who, who know him, we know the secret. And he has bought us. He has called us his own. He has made us holy. And he has set you apart for his purposes. And so my encouragement to you is that you would think on the things of Jesus this week. That you would grow, not out of effort, or how much work you've done, but that you would sit at the feet of Jesus and have an encounter with him. At the end of that moment, you will say, I still don't understand, but there's something about him that's just better. <laughs> it's better than anything else in the world.